Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. This next interview is with Mike Mishedlock, looking at some of his investment themes for 2011. Mike is one of the, if not the best economic blogger out there, a voice of sanity in all the madness, and this is an excellent interview dealing in facts and fundamentals. The interview lasts an hour and gets better and better as it goes along, so it's well worth pursuing right to the end. Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that you can subscribe to the show by clicking on the subscribe via email button on the left-hand side of your screen. And then every time I upload a new show, you'll be notified in your inbox. And that's the only email you'll receive. It is my pleasure today in our series of predictions for 2011 to be talking to Mike Shedlock, otherwise known as Mish. Mish has, in my view, one of the best, if not the best, economic blog out there. It's called Mish's Global Economic Trend Analysis. You can find it either just by going to Google and typing in Mish, or you can go the other way, which is to type in globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com. Mish, hello. Welcome to the show. Happy 2011. Happy uh, 2011 to you, and it's a pleasure to be back on the show. Good stuff, good stuff. It's a pleasure to have you back. Uh, just as a little side note, uh, I- I'm not quite sure whether to say 2011 or-, or 2011. Do you know if there's a correct way? <laughs> I always say 2011, but uh, I'm not sure much it matters. Okay, well, it certainly doesn't matter. I- I've, I've, I'm just, I say 2011 because we used to say 1999. We didn't kind of say 1,999, if you see what I mean. <laughs> I do. Okay. Anyway, let's crack on. You 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 wrote a post. Uh, well, it was just before Christmas, actually. Ten economic and investment themes for 2011, and I'd like to discuss some of the issues that you raise in that post. And theme number one is that U.S. municipal bankruptcies head to center stage. Why don't we talk about that for a second? I've actually been talking about this for quite some time. I was way ahead of the curve on this. There's some other people now. Um, uh, Meredith Whitney is is recently talking about this. Um, I think she's a little bit exaggerated here in terms of the size of the defaults, but in terms of what it's going to mean to the municipal bond market, um, I think it's going to be a veritable disaster. We're going to see yields rise. I'm looking for places like Detroit and another city in Michigan to go bankrupt. We're seeing laws changed in Indiana that will um, a- a- allow cities to go bankrupt. The uh, um, 
I'm just looking across the board, Miami, Oakland, Houston, San Diego. Bankruptcy has come up, has been in discussion in those places. Now, whether or not all of those go bankrupt next year, I don't think they will. But I think some of them will. And I think it's going to rattle the bond market and rattle the municipal bond market. So so we're going to see borrowing costs of these cities to go up. And these cities, which is another theme, actually, it's point number three, which we'll get to in a minute. We'll just, you know, tie them in here. But uh, uh, one and three are kind of uh, uh, related. You know, cities and states have spent too much. Illinois' deficit is 50% of its revenues. I mean, that's quite staggering. We've got a $14 billion hole and a $28 billion budget. How in the hell are you going to fix that? Now, he wants to raise taxes. Illinois has some of the worst pension fundings of of any state in the union we've got teachers funds that are only 23% funded the, the uh, just major major problems here now we've we've elected a governor that wants to raise taxes and so you know which is you know ties in then here so cities are either going to have to cut back or raise taxes if they cut back that's more firing Long term, I think that's what we need to do. We need to get rid of public workers. This is not the way the administration sees it or most of the Keynesian economists sees it. Long term, it's a good thing. But, but you know, certainly on the short term, there's going to be, you know, a lot of pain in these, in these municipal cutbacks. If they raise taxes instead, that's going to nullify the effect of the you know big tax extension that we just did where Obama threw in the sweetener of uh, of a reduction in social security taxes so we've got a payroll tax cut but we've got tax hikes coming in cities and states 33% tax hike coming in Illinois most likely in the state income tax it's going to chew up every bit of, of all this stimulus that people think is going to drive the economy going forward. 33% is a huge number. I mean, if they raise taxes by, by that amount or even less, there'll be riots, won't there? No, and remember, 33%, that's going from, from 3 to 4. So uh, um, the number sounds huge, and it is a big increase, but, you know, it's an extra 1% out of someone's paycheck. I mean, you know, that adds up, and that's just the state income tax. That's not sales taxes, which are also going to go up, or property taxes, which are going to go up. Taxes are going to more than chew up all of this, you know, stimulus that everyone thinks is coming from this, you know, 2%, you know, reduction in and FICA, you know, that's the Social Security, uh, uh, you know, that just applies actually to the first. I'm not sure what the limit is now. I'm going to say 96,500. So uh, um, uh, they're going to they're going to take out 2%, you know, less on that, but it's going to be chewed up in other places. What happens, Mish, when a city goes bankrupt? We've not seen that. We've just seen it once with Vallejo. The city of Vallejo went bankrupt a couple of years ago, Vallejo, California, and they won the right to unilaterally not negotiate, but flat out change pension and union contracts. Vallejo blew it. 
They didn't do it. Here, they went bankrupt. They won the right to do all of this stuff. Then what did they do? They sat down with the unions and worked out a bunch of agreements that still aren't workable. Vallejo is going to be back in bankruptcy court in a couple of years. I'm hoping the next city does it right. I think there's, well, Detroit is bankrupt. I mean, uh, clearly, in every sense of the word. Uh, you know, this would probably shock some, you know, foreign listeners here outside of the United States, just how bad the education system is in Detroit. The graduation rate, did you, I don't know if you read this on my blog, would you care to guess what the graduation rate is uh, 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 out, of, out of high school? So how many high school graduates from Detroit make it onto university? Uh, no, how many people entering the ninth grade graduate from high school? What percent? In other words, leave with a decent qualification or decent, de- <laughs> no, decent grades. Graduate from high school. Okay. Not decent grades. You know, graduate at all. Okay. So okay. I understand the question. Because we have different terminology you... in the UK. That's why I was confused. I'm going to guess 37%. <laughs> that's a pretty bad number, isn't it? I mean, that's a god-awful number. 25% of people who enter the ninth grade in in Detroit actually graduate. <laughs> you know, I knew the number was going to be low, which is why I aimed low, but 25 <laughs> is phenomenally low. <laughs> uh, that, you know, would have to shock, I would think, some people, you know, listening in 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 europe uh, just how bad that is and other places like you know newark cleveland you know all kinds of places the rust belt cities you know this is a crisis to hit so but what uh, i mean what uh, actually uh, happens so a city goes bankrupt or a state even goes bankrupt what i mean what what happens does does it does everything just stop and nobody goes into work or well states can't go bankrupt states can default now there's there's pending legislation in congress um, actually, I don't know if we have actual bills yet, but it's being talked about where Republicans, you know, want to pass laws allowing states to go bankrupt. I, I, I hope they do. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Illinois is bankrupt. California is bankrupt. Look at the worst states. They're the ones where the unions are in control here. Illinois, California, New Jersey, New York. Those are the four worst states, and those are the ones that have the biggest problems with, with public unions. But what happens when a city goes bankrupt? Well, it really depends on, uh, 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 from, varies from state to state. We've got 26 states that don't allow it to go bankrupt at all. Michigan happens to be one of them. However, I'm predicting that Detroit's going to go bankrupt because I'm predicting we, we've got something happened in Michigan for the first time in a long time. We've got a Republican governor and we've got a Republican legislature that's taken over in the, in the Senate and House of Michigan. They're going to be more uh, uh, agreeable to allowing these kinds of things to do. So what, what I think Detroit ought to do is what Vallejo didn't do. And that is just, you know, flat out work out uh, uh, what they can afford to pay the unions, knock the salaries down to those levels, uh, uh, cut their pension plans to, to something that can be afford, afforded, and then, you know, outsource, privatize police and fire to, you know, non-union or at least, you know, non-union pay levels. 
And, you know, those are the kinds of things that are need to be done. Well, and if, then the if, education system, my God. If, I mean, all, if all the um, pensions that uh, the cities are obliged to play were annulled or, let's say, minimized, would the deficits that they're running disappear and suddenly would, would uh, bankruptcy... I mean, if those deficits disappear, then suddenly the state can, can pay for itself. Remember, cities and states uh, sorry, I beg are, your sorry, are, are the city required to have balanced budgets, but they're not really. You know, they, they, they raise bonds, and uh, they're borrowing from the future all the time to meet current expenses. For some reason, Dominic, that's considered balanced, okay? So uh, uh, the, the debt that Illinois has and that California and New York and those places have you know, they, they pass balanced budgets, but it's balanced by floating bonds. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't think that they will renege on, on those bonds, actually. The, I think the corporate bondholders would otherwise come back at the states and perhaps states to force states to raise taxes or cities to raise taxes states are another issue they can't go bankrupt yet but uh cities are another issue uh, the, the i think they would win in court and uh, in fact i'm quite strongly think that they would win in court just because the, the court ruled that vallejo had to could renege on those contracts so what are they going to do? Come back and sue? Well, you know, well, the court already okayed it. What's the court going to do? Reverse its mind? So there, there's big, big precedent here. But the, 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 the issue here is this is, what, this is what cities and states need to do to get their long-term fiscal health in order. But, and it will be a good thing for the long term, but it's going to rattle the municipal bond market. So I'm suggesting people don't be in municipal bonds. Now, PIMCO disagrees with me. Bill Gross came out and, and, and said he likes munis. He thinks he's being compensated for the risk. I don't. You know, so it's, it's my opinion versus his. The, I think perhaps if one is selective, you know, you know watch what they're doing, that, that maybe some of these things are okay. But, he's, but, but even Gross specifically mentioned stay away from Illinois. He would probably say stay away from, from, from Michigan as well. He didn't say that, but, uh, you know, if I could read his mind, you know, so, but I, I, the way I look at it, Dominic, is, is if the municipal bond market starts getting, you know, shocked with some of these things, why would you want to be in these, why would you want to be in munis now, even if they don't eventually default? You know, because yields across the board are, are, are going to rise. It's going to force borrowing costs on cities, and cities and states are already in trouble. We're seeing these fiscal cutbacks where, where states are either going to have to cut services um, or raise taxes, or in Illinois' case, do both. Uh, the uh, uh, cutting services and firing government employees is a good thing, but bear in mind, you know, that's going to lower GDP, it's going to cut spending, it's going to increase stress on, on those families who are, who are laid off, it's going to, you know, on the sh short term, increase the number of bankruptcies, 
and it's going to it's going to wipe out the negate the effect of of what the gov- of, of what Obama tried to do, putting more money into people's hands. It's just going to be chewed up in higher taxes. So I think people are over optimistic looking into uh, 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 2011. You know what the effect of this stimulus is going to be. They they've not properly factored in what's happening at municipal, city, and state levels in the United States. Okay, um, your second uh, trend is is on the same theme, really. Same theme, different place. Sovereign debt crisis hits Europe. Well, this is a sovereign debt crisis here. Yeah, the, the um, and the important thing here is, well, we bailed out in theory. Uh, I don't know how they call it a bailing out. The, the the claim is Ireland was bailed out. It wasn't Ireland that was bailed out. The uh, Ireland foolishly guaranteed the, the the debt of its banks. But if you went and look and, and and see who the real beneficiary of this money that went to Ireland, the top three beneficiaries are the German banks, the French banks, and U.S. banks. So $75 billion recently went to Ireland, and $75 billion immediately exited to German, French, U.S. banks. Their same mistake that we made here in the United States, the bondholders should have paid a price for their investment, They should have known better than to lend Ireland all that money. They're not bailing out Ireland. In fact, they're stiffing the Irish citizen here who, you know, now is to the tune of like $25,000 or $30,000 a person. It's outrageous. In debt, you know, just to pay back the German, French, and U.S. banks. It's insanity. The, 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 uh, uh, They've no got an election coming. The Irish public won't stand for it. The, I think the next election, um, Prime Minister Cowan's going to be tossed out on his ass, and uh, the, the the next parliament is going to think twice about this. But look how fast they did this. You know, like I said, the seventy-five billion went in and went out. I mean, but you know, what's the alternative now? Well, if I was Ireland, I would renege on that loan to the IMF. Who pays for that? <laughs> the United States, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you can print the money. <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll just print the money to cover it. Now, I, I'd have to go back and look at the the percentages of things because it's not just the United States here. But uh, I really do think that Ireland ought to default. Yeah, I mean, we uh, I hold think, we hold the UK holds a hell of a lot of Irish debt. Yeah. Oh, um, um, I'm sorry. The UK was. Um, I said German was number one and France number two. Uh, um, the UK is either number one or two. France is three and the US is four. So um, uh, I forgot the UK for some reason. Yes, they're <laughs> right up there too. My accent put uh, you uh, off. 
in, in terms of debt. They might even be number one. Uh, it's, it's, it's certainly the UK and Germany are one and two. Okay, and you, know, you mentioned Italy. Uh, you think Italy's got... I mean, it, I, I'm part Italian, actually, Mish, and I know the country quite well, and Italy is a basket case, and I think will almost always be a basket case for various reasons. Um, but one thing that Italy doesn't have that other... Uh, European countries do have is they don't they, their housing market is not that levered. They don't have to take a lot of debt on against property. No, it's it's the um, the housing bubble was in Spain and Ireland, and you can see that those are the places that got hit first. Italy has a different kind of problem. Italy has as much debt as Germany on an economy that's what a fifth as big or something, if that. So, uh, um, and the borrowing costs right now have been inching up. Uh, they were, at the beginning of last year, they were almost the same. But now they're several points higher, a couple, two and a half points higher, something like that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do a follow-up within the next day or so, just looking at Italy in isolation, thing, thinking how bad it can be. Um, I, I did have a, a, a bond trader for one of the largest banks in the world in terms of, of, of dealing with uh, Italian bonds uh, uh, who sent me an email and um, you know, she was just, you know, outlaying the case why Italy is, is the place to watch, not Spain. Actually, I think they both are the place to watch, but the eyes are all on Spain. Very few people have their eyes on Italy right now. And Italy is a far bigger problem than Spain should, you know, credit default swaps and the cost of borrowing go up in Italy because it has as much debt as, as Germany does. Servicing that, the amount of uh, debt that Italy has to roll over this year is quite large. Will they be able to roll that debt over if if rates keep going up? You know, I think that the crisis really hits Europe. There's just too many things brewing. There's the chance of the Ireland default once we elect a new, once Ireland elects a new prime minister in parliament. There's uh, uh, Portugal is having problems again today. So is Spain. Belgium, Italy is the big Belgium. elephant in the room, and no one even sees the elephant yet. Yeah. Belgium's the new Ireland as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, uh, let's, let's move on from, from Europe. And uh, number four was public unions under intense attack. I think we've kind of covered that in the earlier um, ch chat about U.S. municipal well, public, bankers. Yeah, yeah, public unions are coming under attack, and it, but it's not just the, the United States. It's uh, certainly, and we've seen the riots in Greece. Those are over public unions. The UK has an enormous <laughs> public union problem, <laughs> does it not? Yeah. And um, France and Spain. You know, in so, the UK, we, um, uh, we've gone from, over the last, I, I don't know how many years, I think it's 50 years, but we've gone from 10% of the uh, public worked uh, in the public sector and 90% worked in the private sector. Now it's 50-50. 50% of workers work for the state in some form or other. To, to what extent will Cameron be able to uh, uh, change this? 
is 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 well, there any I must chance say, his the... coalition uh, uh, busts up over this? I mean, isn't he in kind of a, of a of a fragile coalition here, or or is he hanging on pretty well? I've not followed the story very well. Well, uh, n- nobody really knows, Mish. There was a blaze of optimism in some quarters when uh, he came to power, and all the noises came out about austerity and cutbacks and all the rest of it. But a lot of those promised cuts have been deferred. Uh, the coalition government, uh, the Liberal Democrat Party, with whom they have the coalition, is uh, very is is left of centre. The public, their voters, are very unhappy because they're saying they've bet- they're betraying the Liberal Democrat principles. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, a lot of the more negative commentators are prediction that the the coalition will bust next year. But in David Cameron's favour, I think he's done a pretty good job as Prime Minister, and I think he might find if, if the coalition goes bust and they have another election he wins it outright because the Labour Party in its current form which is the party that was uh, uh, that lost the last general election is not fit to run to win an election now that's got another uh, you know it's got a, a way to go before it cleans up well that sounds problems. like uh, um, um, good news but you know in, in the meantime you know all of these public union problems are simmering globally you know, not just, you know, in the United States. Long term, it's good to address these things. Uh, uh, Short term, there's going to be some pain, and a lot of pain in both the United States and the UK addressing these issues. Well, we've kind of wriggled out of it uh, so far, uh, amazingly. But um, I think it uh, let me go on to uh, trend number six, which is property bubble bursts wide open in Australia and Canada. Mm-hmm. And you don't mention the UK, but if the UK property bubble and it is a bubble, I think, it, it, you know, it, all the dominoes are lined up now and uh, all we need is higher rates just slightly higher rates and and we get a cascade i mean it's already kind of falling by about 0.5 percent per month so that's our big problem that's when our unraveling comes the the bubble is bursting right now i think has burst in australia i think canada is peaking right now and the only reason why i left the uk out of this is i didn't know the exact state of of the uk i knew the uk is in a bubble no question about that i I just don't know if if 2011 is the year that the UK property bubble busts or not. I, I've certainly expected it and been wrong in um, actually in Canada and Australia before, as has Steve Keen, who uh, uh, predicted some time ago that the Australian bubble would burst wide open, um, and it didn't. But it's happening now in Australia. There's absolutely no question about it. And um, uh, Australia is in a particularly nasty spot because of the run-up in commodities. They've, they've had a, a, a bubble not only in, I think there's one in commodities actually, in the commodity sector, but, but primarily in housing. And then just their whole commercial real estate market is so inefficient. Things sell in in Australia for three times the price of, of, of what you can buy them on in the Internet in the United States. So uh, there's a massive commercial real estate bust coming 
to Australia. Yeah, well, I don't know if you've got that same kind of problem well, in the UK or not, but Australia is particularly pronounced. Well, one thing that that has kind of minimised the hurt here that uh, can't happen in Australia is because our currency has fallen so much, our properties looked quite cheap to an overseas buyer. But with the Australian dollar being so strong, you know, to an overseas person, and, you know, a lot of people go, for example, from the UK to Australia, they emigrate there. It's just... It's horrendously expensive if you price it in sterling. Well, the amazing thing is, though, see, one would think that if their currency was strong, that imports coming from China would be cheap, but they're not. Their store prices are high in spite of the Australian dollar being strong. And what happens when the Australian dollar sinks and property sinks? (laughs) <laughs> My God, think of the devastation that that's going to cause in the commercial real estate sector in Australia. It is one huge problem, and you have all of these people that are, you know, rah, rah, waving the flag, get out of the United States, invest in these, you know, countries that have, you know, uh, uh, commodity currencies. Australia is going to get smacked really, really hard, in my opinion. I uh, 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 and, and if they um, if they raise uh, interest rates to defend the Australian dollar or to to further you know rein in the property bubble, you know that causes a different kind of problem. There are no good solutions for Australia, just like. <laughs> the problem in china is actually even worse well that was my next question and uh, we, we're going to look for some positives before this interview's over but let's uh, let's move uh, from australia north to china and and your prediction number five china overheats multiple rates rate hikes coming and in fact we've already had one of them yes we've we've had one you know the question is how many does it take and uh the the China faces multiple problems. China has an unemployment problem far bigger than the United States. China wants to grow at 10% a year. Australia doesn't want to grow at 10% a year. China does. They think they can maintain that long term. Uh, uh, with with peak oil, I don't think China and India can uh, uh, maintain the growth rates they they suspect. If they can't, then what happens to you know social you know, unrest in China. Already you've got enormous people, enormous numbers of people coming out, you know, graduating from college with multiple degrees and no job, and the government doesn't know where to put these people. Meantime, you've got entire vacant cities sitting there in China where no one lives. You've got people buying property just because they expect it's going to go up People are buying property and holding on to it, not even living in these condos. So um, just multiple, multiple problems. China's got an export-driven economy. It wants to maintain that. What is, it, what is China going to do with exports when Europe's the basket case that it is? I'll tell you right now, this is a story that just came out today. China's out there buying Spanish government bonds, attempting to keep Spain together. How long is, seriously, how long is that going to last for? 
so you know, I'm going to be you know talking about Spain and Italy in, in, uh, uh, in a post within the next couple of days. So there's all of these things going on. You know, China has a huge problem from many, many, many different angles uh, uh, than the you know simple property commercial real estate model of of Australia. Now, uh, uh, you know, China does have all of these big potential pool of consumers. But when you're paying these people two dollars an hour or whatever, a dollar an hour, uh, I don't know how many of them can afford a five hundred thousand dollar condo. So uh, uh, you have people buying these things that they can't afford, and they're sitting them holding them for price speculation. What happens when the Chinese stock market goes down, and what happens when the property bubble busts? I, I think the United States shows you what happens when those things happen. And those have not yet hit Australia, Canada, the UK, or China, and they will. Okay, well, let's, uh, I suppose that brings us on to your, um, I don't know whether to do seven or nine, let's do seven, US avoids double dip. Mm -hmm. I think for now, I mean, I was one of those that was calling for a double dip last year. I don't think we see it in the traditional sense. I don't think the NBER, that's the official designor, uh, designator of, of uh, recessions, comes out and proclaims one here in 2011. Uh, uh, I think GDP is probably going to come in, I don't know, the first quarter, maybe 3%. Then after that, these other problems are going to take their toll slowly but surely. Meanwhile, one thing in the United States is we are well aware, well, ways along in our property bubble burst. I mean, it bust in, we started the bust in 2005. We're going into the sixth year of it now. It's not even started in other places. So um, we've already lost you know, millions of construction jobs, millions of real estate jobs. Those jobs aren't coming back. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, housing investment, I'm not talking about prices, but housing investment is, is nearing a bottom here in the United States. So we're not going to lose a lot more jobs related to housing. Those job losses are going to happen in Australia, Canada, UK, other places. So, uh, uh, um, and we're, we're kind of seeing it here now. Uh, the, the, we had a hot jobs number come out today uh, uh, from ADP, and I'll talk about that a little bit. I think it's a mirage. I said a couple of days ago that I thought we had a chance for one or two months of, 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 of hot jobs. We had a lot of hiring in the U.S. heading into the retail season, and they started that hiring early. So I, I think that's what's, what's reflective in the ADP numbers that came out today. And uh, uh, on a seasonally adjusted basis, maybe we don't fire some of them in January and February that we normally would. But that's it. You know, we're not going back to this big commercial real estate build-out model. 
where we're going to be hiring people throughout the year. We're going to have maybe a one-time effect here now where we don't lay off people that we normally do in January because the economy's picked up a little bit. But it's important to realize the economy picked up a bit because of massive, massive stimulus. I mean, the, the Fed threw literally everything at this, yet unemployment rate is still 9.8%. I expect at the end of the year, unemployment rate's still going to be in the nines, if not the tens, it wouldn't surprise me to see unemployment rate actually go up as some of these people hear that the economy is, is improving. They start going out looking for jobs. The participation rate picks up. And I don't know how it works in the UK, but in the US, it is, it is kind of ridiculous. Uh, unemployment is based off of a pull, not off of hard numbers. They, they survey someone. It's a telephone survey. They ask them, do you have a job? Say, well, if you got a job, you're not employed. Do you want a job? Well, if you don't want a job, well, you're not unemployed. If you're in school, you're not unemployed. Now, but the big one is, did you look for a job in the last four weeks? If the answer to that is no, even if you don't have a job, you want a job, you're desperate for a job, if you didn't, if you didn't, actively look for one in the last four weeks, you're not considered unemployed. So on, on that basis, we've excluded millions and millions of workers. If you total it all up, the U.S. unemployment rate, including the part-timers, is like 17%. But you, you throw out all of these categories, the official unemployment rate is 9.8. Well, if you just added back in, forget the part-timers, because they do have a job, even if they work one hour, uh, uh, that's how loose it is, by the way. But if you, you just add in those that don't have a job and want a job and call those unemployed, you're at something like 14%. So the unemployment rate is, is a lot worse in the United States than it looks. And uh, um, I think it's going to be one of the posts that I did two years ago. I did a post called Structurally High Unemployment for a Decade. And when I wrote that, people thought I was nuts. Well, here we are. Unemployment's still at 9.8% in the midst of this amazing run in the stock market in what looks like a recovery to the financial sector, but has not been a recovery on Main Street. Housing didn't recover. Commercial real estate didn't recover. Unemployment didn't recover. Slight pickup in manufacturing, but the manufacturing actually lost jobs in the last four months in the United States. Okay, well, that brings us on to your eighth uh, trend, the year that something matters. And uh, as far as global equity markets are concerned, nothing has mattered uh, over the last 18 months or so. Not in the United States. Not in the UK either, but actually pull up a chart of, of China or Australia. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. The, the, um, I predicted you know, that the stock, actually I, I called for a great retrace. So looking back at my predictions a year ago, uh, um, I called for a great retrace. Well, we, we started out one. We had a nice retrace going on into May and June where, you know, the stock market was up and then all of a sudden is down like 14% or something. The, um, but that's when Bernanke came out. They did quantitative easing one and two. 
and uh, uh, various more stimulus packages that lifted the stock market through the end of the year. But in spite of stimulus efforts going on in China, just as big on a percentage basis as the United States, Chinese stock market is actually down for the year. And, you know, so on a global basis, my call looks pretty good. But um, on a U.S. base, we, got a, we, got, we certainly got a retrace in Treasury yields. Treasury yields hit new all-time lows um, on the two-, three-, and five-year Treasury notes in um, uh, late October, early November. They've since skyrocketed. Fortunately, um, uh, we sold half of our Treasury position there right at the peak and uh, uh, at the end of October. But um, uh, so we got half of the retrace that I called for in the Treasury market. We didn't get it in the stock market. But looking ahead to 2011, um, I think that something's going to matter here. The, the sentiment in the United States is extreme. Global sentiment is pretty extreme, except maybe in Australia. The, the uh, uh, We've got the crisis in Europe. We've got the crisis, you know, we've got the overheating in China, you know, the public unions, the municipal bond, the Australia-Canada bubble busting. I think some of this is going to finally matter here, you know, to U.S. equities, not just global. And if the U.S. goes down, some of these emerging markets might get hit really hard, particularly China, and I wouldn't call Australia emerging market, but its, it's stock market is very, very, very vulnerable here to uh, um, being smacked hard because of its particular problems. Okay, and uh, as a result of all this, I suppose, and uh, or as a sideline as well, prediction number 10, the US dollar to strengthen. Um, let's talk about decoupling in reverse first. That was point number nine. Yeah, okay. The, on, on a relative basis, on a relative basis, this goes into the year that something matters. On a relative basis, because the U.S. property bubble is further along than the other economies, the U.S. might hold up well. That, uh, um, and certainly from the perspective of, and this brings us into the U.S. dollar to strengthen thing, from the perspective of a foreign buyer of U.S. equities where I expect the dollar to go up, the U.S. actually looks like a good place if you have to invest at all. Now, I don't think you have to invest at all. There's nothing wrong with sitting in cash. But, uh, 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 or if you're in Australia sit in, you know, uh, uh, Australian government bonds uh, might be a, a very good idea. But I'm looking for the U.S. dollar to strengthen just because of, of these, you know, relative basis here. I think we can get hit really hard, but uh, um, because of our dollar strengthening, it, we won't go down as much in terms of the euro. The euro would not surprise me to go to parity. Um, that's you know quite a ways down here from here. It's at what 131 now or something, 131 and a half. So, but you know even if it even if it say declines back down there to that 118 level that it hit, 
um, you know, that's a pretty big chunk. And let's say it goes down to the 115 level. We're talking about a 15% decline here. So from the from the point of view of a foreign investor investing in the United States, uh, uh, the first 15% of a decline in U.S. stocks would be picked up by a rise of, of 15% in the U.S. Uh, dollar. I think it's a reasonable expectation for the dollar to strengthen that much. I could be wrong. Maybe it doesn't strengthen that much. The amazing thing to me is there, there's all these people out there calling for hyperinflation and the dollar to crash. I'm expecting the dollar to strengthen here. So one of us is way wrong here, and uh, I'm going to tell you it's the hyperinflationist. <laughs> so, I mean, it's interesting. On the U.S. dollar, um, it has, I mean, it, it, it's not done well. But if you look at the U.S. dollar, say, over the last three or four years, you know, the the low of each year has been higher than the low of the previous year, if that yeah. makes sense. So in yeah. that sense, it's it's in an uptrend, although it's uh, not one that you'd call parabolic. No, it's been in kind of, I think two years ago, I actually said that I thought the low in the U.S. dollar was in, that there was no real reason to have a love affair with the U.S. dollar that would probably stay in a trading range between 70 and 90. That's a pretty wide trading range, but that's exactly what we've done. We, yeah. we, we had a strong rally from 70 to 90. We fell back down to, what, 75. 73 or 75? 74, or so 74. 74, yes. and then rallied back up to um, 88, what, 88 or 89 again. Yeah. And then we fell back down this time to 76. And, then, you know, the hyperinflation, is, every time it happens, come out of the woodwork. Oh, this time is it. The dollar is going to collapse here. You know what? It, it, you know, no one knows, Dominic. Yeah. But for, for, I at least made a case here for why I think it's going to strengthen. And, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with the, pro the European banks being now worse than the banks in the United States. The crisis in Europe for now is worse than the crisis in the United States. Uh, uh, Australia and Canada, those markets look to weaken and the currency with it all of these things are um, positive for the U.S. dollar. If we get the pullback in, in, in commodities that I expect, that's, that would reduce the trade deficit in the United States. A lot of our trade deficit is importing oil. So um, if, the oil, uh, uh, the, uh, if the price of oil goes down because Europe and China slow, that will be good for the U.S. trade deficit. I mean, I didn't spell all of this out in my blog, so your listeners are getting a lot more behind my thought process here in this interview than, than what I listed in my blog. And, and um, um, so I hope that comes across good. But some people are you know, looking at this, my God, you know, he's nuts. Why is the U.S. dollar going to strengthen? It's, you know, it's, it's hard. You know, we, we've been talking about this for, well, here now for 45 minutes. 45 minutes. It's, it's, it's hard to you know, 
uh, put that all down into a blog <laughs> a that book. we can discuss here uh, um, uh, in, the, in our podcast. Absolutely, Mish. Well, it's been it's been 45 minutes of quality. And just uh, going back to your last comment about nobody knows, Dominic, uh, William Goldman is one of my favourite authors. He wrote films like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Princess Bride and All the President's Men and various others. And uh, he says in his book about Hollywood, uh, you know, everyone's an expert in Hollywood. But the thing to remember about Hollywood is nobody knows anything. And, you know, you've got to you think you might have all the ingredients for a hit and you just never know. It's, you know, and it's, it's the same with investing. You can be as clever as you like, but really nobody knows anything. Well, th- that's right. I mean, you know, I made the case here for the dollar. I made the case last year for the for for the, the stock market not being strong. Well, you know, I was wrong. But why was I wrong? I was wrong because I, I mean, I did not see the reckless amount of stimulus that the Fed was going to throw at this. I, I didn't. Uh, um, uh, and some of the con- stimulus coming out of Congress, uh, I thought, was more than what I thought. But we've got a different Congress coming into 2011. We've, we've, got, we've got people preaching fiscal conservativeness. Now, whether or not they do it, I don't know. I'm certainly expecting some bailouts if things get bad. You know, maybe they'll you know kick a little bit to the states. Will they kick enough to the states where the states don't have to lay off all these people? I don't think so. Are they going to get anything down? To, are the states going to get anything down to the city level? I'm you know more confident on this one that the answer to that is no. Uh, 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 the states are just too cash strapped to give anything, uh, 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 you know, across the board, you know, to help the cities. The cities are kind of on their own here now with, with, with their problems. And, and we're seeing some um, real fiscal-sounding conservatives anyway in some of the states. Certainly Chris Christie in New Jersey, he's been around a while, but, but the governors that we uh, uh, elected in Ohio and um, Wisconsin – who are really willing to take on the unions here. And in Indiana, they're considering passing laws. There's legislation pending that will pass that will allow municipalities to go bankrupt. So we're seeing a a different kind of attitude. And, um, uh, you know, while I'm not saying the U.S. is going to be fiscally responsible here, um, hopefully they prevent the budget from getting, you know, any worse here in, in, into the next year. And, you know, and we'll see. Meanwhile, all these problems are blow, brewing and, um, and they're just as bad. This, this is the other thing that I want to talk about is everyone in the United States tends to be so U.S. centric focused. Our problems are absolutely massive, but the problems in the UK, the problems in the EU, are just as bad. For the U.S. dollar to collapse, it's got to collapse against something. Maybe it collapses against gold, but, you know, if it does, so would the euro, so would uh, uh, the yuan, so would the British pound. Uh, uh, you know, that's not hyperinflation to me. That, 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 that's that's a, a push into you know, against fiat currencies in general. That's my next question for you, Mish. Uh, I've I've got two more questions I want to quickly ask you before we close. But gold, what do you think of gold here? 
Um, I think gold is very vulnerable here, actually. Um, silver probably more so. The uh, uh, sentiment is really extreme. Again, this is one of these things no one knows. I think if we get a, uh, uh, what, uh, heading into this year, I see, what, you know, gold uh, struggled around that thousand area for a while, then broke out and headed to 1400. So, you know, why can't we give back half of that or even two-thirds of that? Uh, uh, the long-term trend lines would still be intact. Uh, uh, I think easily we can see a pullback to 1200 1100 in gold. I don't know on silver, maybe $22, $25. Uh, You know, that's not a prediction. Um, That's just saying that it's it's likely. The, uh, um, you know, maybe not. You've got a lot of people out there, a lot of silver bulls in particular, think that position limits are going to cause, and I talked about this on my blog yesterday, that position limits on, on gold and silver are going to uh, uh, force the price up. I don't see it that way. I think the commodity exchanges will, will if anything, go way out of their way to protect um, uh, uh, J.P. Morgan or any of the banks or any of the uh, uh, um, market makers that are, that, are, that are short these commodities. I also happen to believe that J.P. Morgan's hedged. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't know how they have not blown up already if they're not hedged. Unless someone can explain that to me, I'm going to continue to believe that J.P. Morgan's hedged here. So uh, uh, if they put these position limits on, who is it likely to hit? It's likely to hit some big hedge funds. It's likely to hit some pension plans. They're going to have to go into forced liquidation, um, long liquidation, and um, uh, falling commodity prices tend to go hand in hand. And certainly if the global economy slows, if the United States doesn't pick up like, I, like everyone seems to think now, the, the, the you know, price targets on the S&P just keep getting higher and higher and higher. Uh, um, one of them came out today with, with one of the most absurd things that, that, that I've seen, you know, literally calling for the S&P to double, uh, um, <laughs> you know, in, in the next two years. So the prediction's getting more wildly and wildly optimistic. In the meantime, what did the S&P do uh, uh, in 2010? It rose 12%. And... Uh, that, meanwhile, every step of the way, everyone's getting more and more and more bullish. And it's not just on the U.S. equities, it's on equities in general, uh, 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 and it's also on commodities in general. So sentiment-wise, you know, and sentiment's very difficult to time because you don't know when. Uh, 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 I think we're going to have a big pullback in commodities, whether it's from this level or we go higher first. I don't know. No one knows. Okay. So, I mean, your stance at this stage in in the investment cycle would be to take some profits and sit in cash and wait for the next opportunity. I think that sums it up quite well. I look across the board, Dominic. I don't see anything I like. Right now, Treasury yields look like they want to head north. And why shouldn't they? Everyone believes you know, the, uh, you know that the U.S. economy is strengthening, so why shouldn't yields go north? And guess what happens? We didn't even discuss this one. But, but, but if Treasury yields go north, that's supportive of the U.S. dollar, isn't it? 
So, uh, um, you know, that's another factor for um, a, a strengthening of the U.S. dollar. Now, if the U.S. dollar considers to strengthen, when, when, when in recent history has that been good for the, for the U.S. stock market? Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's all one market, isn't it? It's, it's the U.S. dollar and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so, but, okay, I don't like Australia. I, I don't like China. I like the U.S. dollar, but I live in the United States, so I've already got dollars. Uh, you know, from the point of view of the European investor, I think maybe buying dollar, uh, um, uh, or, you know, or you know, a short euro position, long dollar, uh, um, is a good position for someone in the United States. I just I don't see a lot of opportunities. Oh, actually, there is one. Um, uh, I like Japan here. And um, in a sense, now Japan faces, we didn't talk about this. I didn't even have this as one of my points. I meant to, it's like a point left out that I didn't. So you get a bonus 11th point here. Okay. <laughs> the the uh, 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 Japan has a lot of stocks, if you look at them, you know, on a price to book level and actual cash levels that, that uh, that the Japanese companies are carrying. They've gone through 20 years of deflation. They, all optimism is wrung out. No one, I asked at a gold conference show um, in October, uh, there's like 100 people in the room. I asked the question, I said, how many of you have any investments, have any Japanese equities? One person raised their hand. One person out of the whole room. So one one hundredth, and uh, but I happen to like Japanese equities here. Everyone's ignored them. Everyone's in love with China or or the commodity proof. No one's in love with Japan. Yet the valuations on their equities are compelling. However, the problem with Japan is their currency can blow up at any time. The, the uh, uh, so if if you're going to get into the um, Japanese play, you're going to need a currency hedge on there because, you know, the stock market might go up, but you might lose it all back on the yen, you know, yeah. if, if the yen starts to decline here. So, you know, that's the, that's the caveat. That's the two-sided play here uh, um, uh, to, to Japan. But, you know, that is, you know, one of the better, you know, investment themes that anyone could do, actually. Again, you have to, you know, know how or be able to hedge that currency risk. Not a lot of people can do that. But uh, 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 so Japan is, is one spot, just sitting in cash and waiting in another one. Having something in gold, you know, just in case all hell does break, break loose and gold does go to the moon, very possible. So, I'm, you know, I think you would want to hold on to some of your oh, gold here. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, Misha. I, I kind of think gold could correct in the, uh, in the short term. But, you, you know, it's a long-term bull market and you absolutely have to keep a position at all times because the amount of people who try and trade gold and end up missing big moves, which tend to come when people are least expecting it so you know you uh, you know even if gold corrects i still think you have to keep a position at all times yeah the the um the same maybe to a lesser extent to silver silver is a riskier thing because silver is an industrial commodity it's that's a two-edged sword here by the way 
the, because silver does get used up. You know, that, that's all these claims out there. The world's running out of silver, blah, blah, blah. But, but uh, uh, the, you know, demand for stuff and the global economy slows. There's a chance that silver gets smacked here much, much harder um, than, than gold does. Gold is truly acting like a currency here, much, much more so than, than silver has. So gold is acting like money. I believe gold is money. I, I don't know whether silver's money or not. It, it could be. Uh, uh, um, but, uh, you know, those are your, you know, kind of the general, you know, investment themes. It's like, you know, you know, caution, don't get caught up in the over-exuberance, hang on to some of your gold. Uh, 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 treasury yields look bad here in the United States. That's going to be good for the U.S. dollar. So, um, you know, I'm off my U.S. Treasury kick here totally. The uh, I think there will be a buying opportunity, you know, maybe in May. Seasonally, Treasuries are not very good here. So, uh, um, you know, it's it's you know that's my cautionary outlook here heading into 2011. There's not a lot of of good places. There's not a lot of compelling value other than Japan, and you and even with Japan, you have to hedge the risk. Absolutely, and and Japan, you know, people have been calling out for value in Japan for a long time, and it hasn't delivered. But I, I do, I, I, I am persuaded by your fundamental argument. But Mish, you've talked for nearly an hour. It's been an absolute joy and a pleasure for li- uh, listening to you, and uh, I hope uh, my listeners get as much pleasure as I have. Thank you so much for your time. Um, why don't you give your website a nice plug now? And, and uh, It's uh, globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com. The simple way to find me is just do a uh, Google search for Mish, M-I-S-H, just the first two characters of my first and last name and um uh, maybe you've got a link to me on your website as well where people can find me uh, i i will there'll be one up there so um that's it dominic and uh, uh happy new year to you a pleasure talking to you and uh, when you get the podcast done you got to send me a link and i'll uh throw it up on my blog i'll do just that mish happy 2011 and uh, all the best with everything and once again thank you for your time and your blog is tremendous i read it every day Thank you very much. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 